0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Last weekend, my wife and I were uh, celebrating our 30th, that's right, 30 years of marriage. Um, I was only 12 when we got married. It was a a rocky start, but we found our way. And uh, actually, our anniversary is January the 21st. Um, but we waited until her spring break uh, when she was off school for us to take a week, and we headed to Hawaii, and it was a remarkable, remarkable experience. Our first time ever going, and maybe our last time that we'll ever be there. Uh, For many people, it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip, and it certainly was for us. Uh, We had a wonderful time, and uh, if it wasn't for my family and Grace Crossing Church, I probably would have changed my address and just stayed on Oahu because it's an island that you could just be at for days and weeks and months and just kind of get lost there. But uh, I was trying to think about, like, what's the perfect gift that I can bring back for everybody at Grace Crossing Church? Like, what would be that perfect special gift? So, how'd you like your weather this weekend? Okay. I brought it just for you. Did you like it? Okay. Brought that all the way from Hawaii so that we could warm up our temperatures a little bit and enjoy it. All this brown, by the way, and this tan, that's all from yesterday. Great sun yesterday. It was wonderful to be out in the sun enjoying it. But, uh, hey, before we jump back into our series, Faces, let me just mention, um, this is a very special week for us here at Grace Crossing Church. It's It's a special week on the Christian calendar. It's often referred to as Holy Week. And let me just say that I believe as a follower of Jesus, every week and every day should be a holy day and a holy week. But this particular week is really special because we commemorate, reflect upon, and then celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us. And we're going to do that this coming week on our Good Friday experience, Friday evening at 7 o'clock. Many of you have been to that Good Friday experience, but many of you are newer to Grace Crossing Church, never maybe have been to it here, maybe you've never been to one ever, and we would invite you and encourage you to come out and join us as we commemorate what Jesus did for us. Our Good Friday experience is truly that, is an experience that is unforgettable, and we want you to be here with us to join us. And then Easter Sunday morning three services. Again, this is a a time change adjustment because we're squeezing three morning services in on Easter Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 10.15, and 11.30. We'll have baptisms in all three of them, people who are following Jesus and publicly dedicating their faith uh, in following the Lord Jesus in baptism, and it's going to be a remarkable day of celebration, so we want you to come early. If you come and bring several cars, bring one, try to carpool, let's make room. We're expecting a lot of new faces here next weekend uh, at our Easter services, and it's going to be a great time as we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And then I want to just also remind you to mark your calendar on April the 28th, our annual uh, business meeting will be taking place here on a Monday night at 7 o'clock. We encourage you to make plans to be with us here, what God did in 2013, and what God's doing here uh, as we look ahead. And so I encourage you to be a part of that with us. Now this morning, as we continue our series, Faces, we are focusing and concentrating specifically on the four New Testament Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, we talked a little about that. If you were not with us two weeks ago, you might be wondering, why are there four Gospels? I mean, whenever you want to learn about a historical character, all you need to read is one biography. So why do we have in the New Testament four biographies about the person and the life of Jesus? Well, hundreds of years before Jesus was born and before the New Testament Gospels were written, A prophet by the name of Ezekiel had a really interesting vision that we talked about two weeks ago. Here's where it's fascinating. 700 years later, John, who was the youngest disciple, he was the lone survivor of the original 12 disciples, had a very similar vision. And what's interesting is John actually was sentenced by the Roman government And he was banished to an island called the Island of Patmos, which was located in the Mediterranean. It was a secluded island that was really reserved and designated for the most hated criminals. And what was John's crime? John was a follower of Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He was declaring him. And because of his faith, the Roman government sentenced him to go to this remote island, separated from all civilization. Now, if you've ever seen The Count of Monte Cristo, think Chateau d'If. If you've never seen that movie, think Alcatraz. And here he is, banished on this island, and he has these visions of God. One of the visions that he had was almost identical to the vision that Ezekiel had, and he tries to articulate, to the best of his ability, using his human vocabulary, what it was he was seeing. And here's what he says, Romans chapter 4. In the center, in heaven, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in the front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, what's interesting about these creatures is they had four faces. Could it be that these were an embodiment of the four New Testament Gospels? If you take them and you juxtapose them with the mission and the vision and the target audience of the Gospels, you find very interesting parallels. Matthew's Gospel is written to primarily Jews. And he presents Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He calls him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Matthew presents him with the face of a lion. You come to Mark's gospel and you find Mark writing primarily to a Roman audience, those that were all about allegiance and servitude to the emperor. They were all about power and about those who served, those in authority. Mark writes to the Romans and presents Jesus as the suffering servant of the Lord, of the master. Luke writes and presents and portrays Jesus with the face of a human being. He writes to a non Jewish audience, Greeks and Gentiles, who were outside of faith with God, and he gives us more of the human perspective, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, than any other gospel writer. And then John portrays him with the face of an eagle, as the Son of God, lifted high above this earth, as the Savior of all mankind, as the one that we can fully place our trust and confidence in. He is the one who is our Savior. And so in this series we're taking the different faces and we're talking about the perspectives, the portrait that we get, this kaleidoscopic view of who Jesus is. Think of it as a mosaic with each piece providing an important part of the whole picture. Two weeks ago we talked about John's Gospel and John presents Jesus with the face of God's love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Last weekend, Josh, our family life director, talked about the face of disappointment. He did a tremendous job. If you didn't hear it, I encourage you to go to our podcast and listen. It was spot on. And in Mark's gospel, what we're presented with is this idea that Jesus gives us this face of disappointment. It seems that everyone expected something from Jesus. And Jesus was true to himself, and being true to himself, he let a lot of people down. Jesus was a disappointment to his biological family. His biological family wanted him to follow in his father's footsteps and become a carpenter. Instead, he redefines what family is and says, Only those who do the will of God, my father, are family. And they say, You are out of your mind, you are crazy. He was a disappointment to the people he grew up with in Nazareth. In fact, those that were closest to him, that he had worshiped with in the synagogue, when he stands up and declares that he is the Messiah, they drive him to a cliff and try to throw him off a cliff. You can read about it in Luke chapter 4. With friends like that, who needs enemies? Jesus was an incredible disappointment to the crowds. The crowds all wanted Jesus to provide and meet their every need. He wanted him to address every problem, and yet Jesus constantly was withdrawing from the great crowds. He was actually creating physical distance between them. Jesus disappointed the religious institution and establishment. He, he absolutely violated their laws. He didn't play by their rules. And as a result, he was called a blasphemer and was accused of being demon-possessed. And finally, Jesus disappointed his own disciples. Have you ever thought about it? All 12 of his disciples expected something of Jesus that he didn't produce. They expected that he was going to build an earthly kingdom, he was going to be a king, and he was going to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. Instead, he willingly gives his life to the Jewish authorities and the Roman government and lays his life down willingly, and every single one of them abandoned him in the process. Disappointed that Jesus wasn't what they expected him to be. There's one person who Jesus never disappointed and who was never disappointed in Jesus, and that was God the Father. God the Father at his baptism said, this is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. And can I tell you, if you've not been baptized here, today is your final day to register for our Easter baptisms. If you've never done this, I encourage you, it will be one of the most important acts of your faith That you'll ever take and you will not have a face of disappointment in doing it we come this morning to this third face that we find primarily in the gospel of luke remember the gospel of luke was written to people just like luke people who were outside of faith who did not grow up in a family of faith And and in Grace Crossing Church, we have a large population of medical professionals. You guys would love Luke. Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. And Luke actually, as a doctor, had some really unique insights into the humanity side of Jesus Christ. Luke leaves his physical practice, and he becomes a medical missionary, traveling with Paul the Apostle on his missionary journeys, representing his faith in Christ. Luke's gospel is the gospel that gives us the human side of Jesus more than all the other gospels combined. More is told in the gospel of Luke about the physical birth of Jesus. We're told more about his early days on the earth all the way through age two. And where the other gospels are silent about Jesus from about the age of six all the way to the age of 30, Luke wanted us to know That even at the age of 12, there was something inside of Jesus that could have lent and been bent toward rebellion. In fact, Luke wanted us to know that at the age of 12, when his family was leaving Jerusalem, after a Passover celebration, the largest Jewish festival that ever took place, it was an annual pilgrimage that everybody who was a devout Orthodox Jew would come to if they were able. And when his family was leaving, and they were packing their luggage on their caravan, headed back to Nazareth from Jerusalem. A day and a half into it, they discover that Jesus is nowhere to be found. An amber alert is issued. Billboards are posted. And all through Jerusalem, everybody is a buzz about the fact that there's a missing child. Three days later, they find Jesus. And a little bit in a pre type way when they say to him, what in the world are you doing in the temple? Listen to how he replies. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. That's an important statement. Because it seems as though even at the age of 12, Jesus knew there was something really remarkable about his life. Even at the age of 12, Jesus knew he had a God-given mission here on this earth. Even at the age of 12, there was a face that we see in Jesus that none of the other Gospels really point out, and it's what I will call the face of determination. Jesus had a face of determination even as a 12-year-old, understanding that he was created for something really significant on this earth. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word determination. Perhaps you think of an Olympic athlete who's been training, and his big day has come, and they're going for the gold medal. Perhaps you think of a soldier that actually is going to a war that maybe others don't believe they can win, and yet they believe that they can win this. Maybe, you, maybe when you hear the word determination, you think of a successories poster that's hanging in your office or in your home. How many of you have a successories poster somewhere or a, uh, some kind of plaque or something that has a picture and a word like vision or determination, and under it this little bullet praise. Whatever you think of, the Bible is filled with visual imagery of what determination looks like. And in really a remarkable way, Solomon had some wisdom. And he talks about some of the most determined creatures on the face of the earth. Determination can be seen in animals. And he talks about four of them in Proverbs chapter 3. There are four things on earth that are small. But they're very wise. And I'll add to this, they're very determined. Ants are not very strong. But they store up food in the summer. Rock badgers are not very powerful, but somehow they live and make their home in rocks. Locusts have no king, but they all go forward in formation. Lizards can be caught in the hand, but yet they are found in the king's palaces. Four of the wisest creatures, four of the most determined creatures, and let me add one more to this if I can. Spiders. Have you ever met something more determined? I mean, you you get their web and you tear it down, Your face ran into it as you walked out onto your deck, so you wanted it down. The next morning, guess what? There it is again. I've never seen creatures that are more determined than spiders are. But when I think of Jesus Christ, and I think of that attribute of determination, there's probably not a face that I see in my mind's eye more than what I would call the face of determination. If you took an aerial view of Luke's Gospel, what you would discover is that it's broken into two sections. The first part is all about his Galilean ministry. And then in chapter 9, right at the end of chapter 9, it shifts gears to his Judean ministry and his moving toward Jerusalem. The remainder of the Gospel of Luke is about his movement in that direction. Here's what it says uh, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Now, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey toward Jerusalem. Now that phrase, set his face, is a completely uncommon, unfamiliar phrase to us today in the 21st century. Not so in the 1st century. And Luke, who was an educated physician, likely spoke and or understood multiple languages. And when you take a look at the languages of the 1st century, and you look at this idea of setting your face, it was actually a pretty common phrase. It was used throughout many of the writings and literature of the early Uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd century. And here are the ideas that are being presented in this idea that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. It suggests that first of all, he literally turned his face. Have you ever been with somebody and you had been in a conversation with them and the entire time you felt like they weren't there? In other words, they are physically present but they are emotionally absent. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll be with you in a second. Yeah. And they're, and they're constantly looking. I had a good friend. I used the word friend very loosely. I had a good friend who used to always do that. I was talking to him. He was looking definitely for somebody more important than me. And so I'd often say to him, hey, I'm right here. I want you to look at me in the eyes. Let's have this conversation. Perhaps that's what was happening with Jesus. When on his way to Jerusalem, he arrives in Samaria, and the Bible says they didn't receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Here's what it means. Jesus was absent. He was an absent presence. Jesus was physically there, but listen, emotionally he was miles and miles away from Samaria because his face had already been turned. He was already moving away from where he had been to where he was going. The second suggestion of this word set his face is it literally means he prepared his face as in the idea of courage and boldness. Now here's the term we may use for this today. Jesus put on his game face. So on the count of three, I want you to give me your best game face. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Give me your best game face you are not going to win any battles, any competitions with that face. What Jesus does here is Jesus literally begins to prepare his face with boldness and courage for what lied ahead. There was one thing that Jesus was moving toward, and Jesus knew that it had to happen. The final idea of this word set his face is that Jesus literally Made up his mind. That's the idea of setting your face. It's when you make up your mind, you are fully determined that you're going to do something. You may say at this point that Jesus has a one-track mind. Only one thing he's thinking about. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about Jerusalem. And he's thinking about Gethsemane. And he's thinking about Golgotha. And he's thinking about Roman crucifixion. He, in his mind, is already thinking about what is awaiting him in Jerusalem. And as he sets his face, and as he puts on his game face, and he says, I've got to go there, he knew what light ahead. He knew the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the sorrow that was coming. And yet Jesus was resolute. He had a face of determination, that I'm going to go, and nothing's going to stop me. When his disciples wanted to stop him, there was no convincing him. When people told him, you are crazy, they want to kill you there, Jesus said, I'm going, I've got to be there. He sets his face. When you think about this idea of the face of determination, we know what it means for Jesus. But what does it mean for us? As we sit here in this auditorium at Grace Crossing Church, 21st century, how does the face of determination help us, inspire us, and what does it mean to us to actually be a reflection of Jesus on this earth and having a face of determination? Well, I think like Jesus, determination means that at some point you're going to have to face the cost of being a follower of Jesus. It's interesting. The Bible says in Luke, chapter 14, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, let me hit the pause button here. This is chapter 14. Chapter 9 was when he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he is now well on his way to where he knew he was going to be crucified and he was going to give up his life. And along the way, he's attracting these big crowds of people that are following him. And from the crowd, there are voices shouting toward him, Hey, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus said, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another one says, I'm going to follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus, knowing his father was still well and in good health, says, let your father and let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. To another who says, I'll follow you, but first let me go, go say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, listen, you don't recognize the cost of what it's going to mean to follow me. If you stay in this crowd on my way to Jerusalem, here's what it's going to cost you. Turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. When you hear the word hate, it's easy to think that, man, how could Jesus encourage people to hate their family? Don't think of hate the way we are thinking of it. What Jesus is really saying here is this. If you follow me into Jerusalem, it means everything that you have loved in your life is going to be sacrificed. Everything that you have adhered to the most, the things that you have aspired to the most, the things that you have held in the greatest esteem, you're going to have to be willing to give up and lay down, including your very life. Are you ready for this? Here's the cost. He gives and punctuates it with two illustrations. The first one he says is this, beginning at verse number 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and this person wasn't able to finish Jesus is saying this, I have counted the cost. I already know what it's going to take to complete the mission. Have you? And then, he, and then he punctuates it with a second illustration. Here's what he says. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to impose, to oppose one that is coming against him? With 20,000, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. As I thought about this illustration, one of the highlights of our trip to Hawaii was our visit to Pearl Harbor. Let me tell you, it was one of the few times that I was as proud as I could be to be an American citizen. I was so proud of the men and women who served this country in uniform. I was so proud in a humble way to serve as a pastor in a military community. As I stood there on that memorial, and I looked at the, the faces and the, the pictures and the names and the, of those men and those women that gave their life on that day, whose bodies were physically entombed, because they were unable to respond because immediately we were moved into a pretty significant war, World War II. As I stood there and I listened to a person out standing over that memorial, over the USS Arizona, that was one of 21 ships that was hit by nearly 300 Japanese planes that flew over Pearl Harbor that day and ruthlessly and unaware hit our ships destroying or crippling every single one of them and sunk the USS Arizona. As I stood over that particular place and I listened to a veteran talk about the fact that there was our fuel asset over here and there was our ammunition asset over there and if those two assets had been successfully taken out on that day, we wouldn't be looking at each other today. This island would have been overthrown and taken by the Japanese. And I stood there and I thought, as I looked at this memorial, I thought of the 900 plus bodies that are still entombed in that USS Arizona who actually were laid to rest there and other veterans that have chosen to come back that upon their their death they wanted their bodies and their remains put down there with their shipmate. It's a pretty remarkable thing. And then I realized as I studied it more that the commander of the military of Japan actually didn't want to go to war. He did not want to execute this mission. Because he said, we're going to awake a sleeping giant. And that's exactly what happened when they attacked Pearl Harbor that day. Those with 10,000 didn't count the cost of coming against those who had 20,000 and more that were ready for battle. And we're were putting on a face of determination on that day. I know we do this from time to time here, but I don't think we can do it enough. If you are a person who has served in our armed forces, you are a veteran, uh, you are in current active duty, would you stand please? And can we just thank and honor those men and women that are serving our country in the United States military. Thank you. Second thing about determination is like Jesus. Determination will bring us face-to-face with our human limitations. If we had no limitations... We wouldn't need determination. Did you know that? It is the fact that we have limitations that calls and taps into the face of determination to say we're not only going to face those things, but we're going to conquer those things to the best of our ability. One of the other highlights of our trip was we went to Diamond Head, which is a state monument. It's actually a volcano, a volcano and a cone. Uh, That was a crater that was left behind. It's about an 800-feet hike, nearly a straight incline. it feels like. It feels like 8,000 feet directly into the air. And we got about three-quarters of the way to the top of that monument on Diamond Head. And my wife, Kelly, just before we got there, was absolutely spent. She said, man, I am just so tired. Uh, I feel nauseous. I don't think I can make it. And I said to her, hey, why don't we stop? There's a little resting spot. Why don't we take a break and catch our breath. Let's let's let some breeze blow over us. Drink some water. Let's see if we can get some energy back to finish this thing. And and that picture was taken when she was putting on her face of determination. Because we were staring at 100 steps, kind of the final leg of this thing, 100 steps that was a steep incline up to a dark tunnel with four flights of circular stairs that brought you out to the top. I was about spent when we got up to the end of it. And as we stared at that, I said, honey, do you think we can do this? It'd be a shame to come this far and not finish it. With a face of determination, she finished it. But it's our human limitations that tap into that face. Did you know that Jesus actually had human limitations? I don't know how often you've ever thought about this, but the Bible says that Jesus left heaven and gave up his right to exercise his divinity. And he comes to earth and he puts himself in the confines of a human body, which meant this Jesus got tired, Jesus got hungry, Jesus got thirsty. Jesus could only endure so much pain and suffering till finally his life was taken from him. And yet, what Jesus did, and what so many other people have done through the years, is that they have put on a face of determination. When everything inside of them wanted to quit, their human limitations would not let them quit. I was watching an inspiring story this past week. Many of you may know that this week marks the one-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombings. And I was watching the story of a family of three, a young lady who ran in the Boston Marathon, her very first. Her mom and her sister, who were at the, the finish line, waiting to cheer her on through the finish line as she crossed it. Moments before she reached it, those bombs went off. Her sister was severely injured and actually went through months of surgeries and therapy. Her mom lost both of her legs in that bombing. Three people killed, nearly 300 injured on that day. And I was watching their story as Carmen, the runner, was saying, we have decided that we've got to complete what we've started. And so this week, we're going back to the marathon, and I'm going to complete the race that I began. And her mom, Celeste, and her sister, Sydney, said, we're going back, and we're going to be on that same finish line, and we're going to cheer her on as she crosses the finish line. It was such an inspiring story about how we put on a face of determination against all odds and against all human limitations and we choose to keep on running. Jesus did not just set his face toward Jerusalem. He did not just set his gaze toward Calvary, the cross, Golgotha, Gethsemane. Jesus actually set his feet in motion. He actually said, I'm going to set my feet moving in a direction. Which brings us to one final thought as we close. Like Jesus, determination requires that you look in one direction. It requires that you don't look back, but you keep on moving and you keep on running even when you don't feel like it. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, writes one of the 27 letters we find in the New Testament. And in that letter, one of the things that he says, which I think is remarkable, is this. He compares a person who prays with doubt. And he characterizes them as a double-minded person, unstable in all other ways. Nothing makes us more unstable than we, when we have a double mind. When we are thinking one way and then thinking another way. Nothing makes it more possible for us to give up the race and stop running than when we keep looking back. And so I asked myself, what is it that kept Jesus running in one direction, going toward Jerusalem? What was it, knowing what lied ahead, deep in his gut, knowing what was coming, what was it that kept him running? He knew something much more significant. The same thing that you and I need to know if we're going to have the face of determination and reflect Christ here on this earth. Jesus, first of all, knew who he was. When Jesus stood up in the temple and picked up the scroll of Isaiah and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach good news, he knew who he was. Do we? Jesus knew his purpose. When he was taken before Pilate, Luke's gospel says that Pilate asked him, Are you a king? And Jesus said, Yes, it is as you say. I like the way John actually adds value to this. In John's gospel, chapter 18, Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate replied, But you are a king then. Yes, Jesus said, I was born for that purpose. Jesus knew what he was born for. He knew his purpose. Do you? And finally, I think it's incredible. Jesus knew where he was headed. At the end of Jerusalem, at the end of the cross, there was something greater that awaited him. The Bible gives us this account in Luke chapter 23. Jesus crying out with a loud voice on the cross said, Father, into your hands I commit... My spirit, when we get to the end of our race and we look into the eyes of God, what better can we say with confidence than into your hands I commit my spirit? Jesus knew exactly where he was headed. Do you? As we move here on Palm Sunday into this Easter week, I want to give us this final reminder that Paul gives us from his letter to the Philippian church, Paul, in thinking about the face of determination that was found in Jesus, writes and he tells us this in Philippians chapter 3, I do not mean that I am already as God wants me to be. I've not yet reached the goal, but I continue trying to reach it and to make it mine. Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason that he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know that I have not yet reached that goal, but there is one thing, one thing that I always do. Here it is. Forgetting the past, straining toward what is ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God called me through Christ to the life above. Some of you in this auditorium today have become disillusioned with your faith. Some of you in this auditorium today have been sitting on a fence of faith, not sure whether you should be all in with God. Some of you are here, and you actually found your life hurt somewhere along the way. Maybe your family, maybe your church growing up, and it makes it difficult for you to trust God. Forget what lies behind. Press forward to what lies ahead. God has called you to something incredible, immeasurable, something that's worth running for. Forget what lies behind and press forward to the prize that God has for you. And as you put on a face of determination, God will honor you. God will bless you. And God will help you. As we close this morning, there are two reflection questions that I want you to write down. If you're taking notes in U version, write them in there. If you don't, grab your program, your handout today and write it on the back. This week, as you are preparing your heart for For Good Friday and for Easter, for our times here of remembering and reflecting and then celebrating on Easter what Jesus did for us. I have two things based on Philippians chapter 3 that are worth thinking about. The first one is this. What one thing do you need to forget from your past that keeps you from facing your future with determination? What one thing do you need to forget from your past you need to put behind you that keeps you from facing your future with determination. And here's the second. What would it look like for you to abandon your will and to follow God's? What Jesus did for us was he abandoned his own will and actually chose to put on a face of determination and follow God's. What would that look like in your life? What is that one thing that God's calling you to to trust him with? Maybe it's trusting him with your finances. Maybe it's trusting him with your family. Maybe it's trusting him with your job. Maybe it's trusting him with your marriage, letting go and saying God, I'm going to give it to you. Maybe it's trusting him with your health. What's that one thing that you've got to abandon your will? And say, God, it's not about me, it's about you, and I'm going to surrender to your will in my life, follow you with a face of determination. I want to pray with you this morning. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. And as I pray this closing prayer, if you're in this auditorium today, and you are outside of faith and a relationship with God, or you are unsure, Jesus set his face for you. He did what he did in Jerusalem for you. He did it because he wants relationship with you. And Jesus, more than anything else, desires today that we place our full trust and confidence in him and that we give him our lives. We say, God, I'm going to follow you for all of my days here on this earth. And so as I close in prayer, I want to pray for that one or two or a dozen 50 that are here in this auditorium who want to cross the line of faith today and say God I want to I want to follow you and I want to do your will in my life so with heads bowed and eyes closed if that's you today and you feel God tugging at your heart and you feel God calling you by his spirit to make that decision today would you lift up your hand and you can put it right back down I'd love to just remember you in my mind as I'm praying this final prayer that's you. Slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Thanks. Thanks for those who have. or there are others? Yeah. Praise God. Thanks. Nobody else today would say that's me. I I want to surrender to God. I want to give him my life. Father, today, I want to thank you for your son Jesus. I want to thank you that he came to this earth resolute, determined, committed to do the Father's will. As I look into the face of Jesus that we find in Luke's gospel, I'm reminded again, God, of how easy it is for us to become discouraged, to doubt, to question, to stop running this race that you've placed before us. God, I pray you'll help each one of us, especially those who this morning have reached out to you in faith and have invited you into their life, God. And even as I pray, they're doing that. They're asking you to forgive their sins and to, to cleanse them and to forgive them and to give them a new start. They're going to have to put on a face of determination because it isn't going to be easy. There's going to be things that are going to come along the way that are going to trip them up, get them, Detoured moving in a direction that you don't want them to go And they're going to have to stay focused on you And I pray you'll help them I pray for all of us Lord as we This week take an inventory of our lives As we think about where we are The things we need to forget from our past And look forward to in our future Things God that are getting in the way of doing your will I ask you to help us Lord to honor you to put you in first place in our life, to be our first love. And God will follow your footsteps and give our life for you. Bless us, I pray, Lord, each one of us. As this week, Lord, we reflect upon this word, reflect upon the scripture, and as we think about and ready our hearts for a Good Friday and Easter, we thank you for what you're going to do here in this auditorium and in our lives and through our influence of others. In these days ahead. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.